Where are you? All I can see is a bright light. It must be heaven. <laughs> it's good to see you this morning, and uh, good to, glad you're here with us. Man, they left out a front row out here this morning. I realized something. Usually there's a row that's closer to me than this, and so you guys like are far away, so I'll have to come down here and talk to you this morning, okay? <laughs> is that all right? <laughs> so I don't know. So uh, set her uppers. Some of my front row up here because some people sit up here. I can almost reach out and touch them sometimes. So, spit on them. Okay, that was the deal. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that was the problem. Maybe it was some complaints about that as well. So, anyway, okay. It's good to see you this morning. We've been in a series called Famous Last Words, where we've been looking at the, the teachings of Jesus in, in, in the upper room right before he went to the cross. In John chapter 13, 14, 15, and 16, we have some. It really last instructions that Jesus gives to his closest followers, his disciples. And we realized when we looked at these already that these are important things that Jesus was trying to teach all of his, all of his followers and, and, and his closest friends. And so these are important things to do. And we're going to look, kind of look, uh, look at this today in the next, next couple of weeks. And then following this, we're going to transition right in, in John into the uh, Easter story. And on, um, and on uh, the Thursday before Easter, we'll be having a thing called a uh, upper room service, which we've done the last several years here in this big room. We'll have communion here and everything like that on a Thursday night at 7 o'clock. And then uh, we'll uh, transition to Easter and still be in the book of John. And then after, after Easter, we still have a couple of, or another chapter in the book of John, which has some great teaching about Thomas and about Peter and some other things. And so we're going to hang out there until we finish up the whole book of John. So that's kind of where we're going to be over the last the next several weeks, so just to kind of do that. But today, if you have your Bible, or your Android, or your iPad, or whatever you use to use Scripture, turn to chapter, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, to chapter 15 of John, and we're going to begin with verse 18 this morning. We looked at the first half last week, uh, talking about what it means to abide in Christ. Now this week, as I was studying this passage and studying uh, the background of this and other Scriptures, um, I read so much in Scripture that reminded me of something, and it, and it kind of like confused me. Because I'm going like, how could anybody possibly read Scripture seriously, especially the New Testament, and get the idea that being a follower of Jesus Christ means that as soon as I become a follower, everything is just perfect. You know, that, that this whole thing of wealth and prosperity, that, you know, if I follow Christ, I'm, there's people that teach that in the world, and it's a false, it's a false teaching, because all you have to do is begin to read the, the, the Bible, read Scripture, and we get this idea that, uh, that this is not necessarily true. For instance, you know, the, the Lord had openly taught his disciples, not just simply here in the upper room, but since the very beginning, uh, he talks about it even on the Sermon on the Mount, where he said in Matthew 5, uh, verses 10 and 12, he says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of, cause of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, he says. Hey, you know, if you're persecuted, rejoice and be glad. We're going like, that doesn't sound like it's the way it's, you know, how it works. But it's something that Jesus talked about. Because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Then it, over in verse 44 of that same chapter, he says this, But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And this was not the only time Jesus taught this, because he also taught it uh, when he was in his, what we call his commissioning sermon for his uh, disciples as he sent them out to minister. He said a couple of things over in Matthew 10 about, he says, I'm sending you out like sheep uh, among wolves. 
And he says, and then later on in that same passage, he says, but when they arrest you, not if they arrest you, he says, but when they arrest you, you know, he's, he's, he's kind of, this is kind of the part of the, the thing here. And he's going like, what's the deal? And it's evident throughout all of scripture, especially uh, that, that the religious, even the religious establishment opposed Jesus. It wasn't just the people out in the world, but it was the religious establishment that opposed Jesus. Uh, if you would have gone back and started at the very beginning of the book of John, if you'd read through this um, earlier on, you would have saw this, this whole thing where the establishments not only opposed Jesus, but they even sought to kill him. It starts back in John chapter 5 and John chapter 7, verse, uh, chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 11. Just go back and read it. And it, it talks about constantly this whole thing. So Jesus had been, had been teaching this all along. So it wasn't a new teaching when we get to chapter 15, beginning with verse um, 18, that the disciples should not have been surprised when Jesus brought up the subject of persecution once again. For they had heard him warn them, and they had seen him face men's hatred during his ministry. So that's where we're starting today. And we're going to just kind of go through this passage, chapter, eight, uh, chapter 15, verses 18, through chapter 16, verse 4 today, and talk about this in context. And then next week, uh, Dan, is going to, uh, Dan Baker, our children's pastor, is going to teach about the next part of chapter 16, which deals with what happens following that, about how the Holy Spirit's involved in this. And then we'll uh, conclude uh, the next week uh, on, on um, the Sunday before Easter, with the final teaching of Jesus in this, in this passage, and then we'll uh, go from there. So it says this, though, chapter 15, verse 18 and 19. It says, if the world hates you, at least it's if this time, okay? It's not when the world hates you. It says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belonged in the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Now, the first question that comes to mind is, what is he talking about when he says the word, word world? Because sometimes we get the wrong impression. Is that just people in general? Well, no, a definition from a Christian view, viewpoint is that the, this, this idea of world is, involves all the people, plans, organizations, activities, philosophies that belong to a society that's without God. It's those things which this world, uh, this, this world view that, that is without God. And so in a real sense, what he's saying, he, said he's not, he, says, don't, um, uh, he says he's not opposed to people, but he's saying that opposed to this world view where people's minds and hearts are focused upon maybe cultural things that are opposed to God, or at least don't listen to God. And he said that's what the world is. And he said this, this is not the only time this is said in Scripture. It says in Romans 12 too, it says, uh, Paul says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of what? Of this world, uh, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. John, and John, in John chapter, uh, uh, 1 John chapter 2, he says this, do not love the world or anything in the world. Uh, and then he says the last part, the world and its desires pass away, but the man who does God's the will of God lives forever. So the question of the day we're going to be looking at, that so often we don't deal with in our culture, and I'll tell you, this is, this is not as... If you lived in certain parts of the world, this would be a really easy message to understand. But we live in America. And we don't face some of the things that, that are talked about here, but don't think we're immune. I'm not, this is not a warning. Well, it is a warning, okay? Because the, the reality is, is that there's different levels of, of rejection, of persecution. And while we may not have the dip, deepest level, the first level is kind of people just not liking you. You ever had somebody not like you because you're a Christian? I know people in this church have told me before that because they left, I mean, even they left a religion, maybe a Catholic family, and they came and, and their family kind of rejected them. Or they came out of a different background or some kind of that background because you almost were leaving the faith 
when you, when you did that. Or people who, who work, and, you know, and you're going like, well, they're one of those Christian people, you know? And they kind of look down, and they don't invite you to the office parties and stuff, because that might be the level of rejection that you have in your world. Uh, you know, beyond that, that level of not, people not liking you, then it comes like some active, you know, pushing away. Some people just push away from you. And then another level above that is people who simply uh, begin to do active persecution, where they'll actually, you know, speak out against you. And then we see in much of the world today, though, there's places where it's not just speaking out against you, it's people who are actually being persecuted, uh, arrested, other things for their faith as well. So the thing that we want to talk about today is what is Jesus teaching us here, regardless of the level of where we are, what is Jesus teaching us here about what do I do when I face rejection for my faith? And this, these first two verses here, verses uh, 18 and 19, uh, they teach us a couple of things, first of all, about this. That when Jesus says this, he said, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. The first thing is this, he says, don't take it personally. Don't take it personally. Isn't that great? The deal is this, he says, the reason we don't take it personally is because, because so often when something happens to us, don't we just take everything personally? It's, it's all about you? And he's saying, hey, the reason is because you're a follower of Jesus Christ. You become a follower of me. He said, the reason they hate you is not because of you, it's because of me. And he says, so, so when you look at it that way, realize that, that when, people, when people don't like you, that's going to be happening because they didn't like him. Religious people didn't like him. Uh, and, and Jesus lived a perfect life. Another thing he says, uh, says in this verse, he says, he says not only he says... Um, the world hates you. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. He's saying this, don't try to fit in. Don't try to fit in. He says you can't fit in as a believer. If you think that you can just like look like the rest of the world, you're in trouble. Because you know what the Bible says that we are to be as Christians? It says we're to be holy. You know what the word holy means? It means separate, distinct. If you're a follower of Christ... It doesn't mean you have to be weird, okay? That's not what it's talking about. It's mean you have to be separate and distinct. That means they're separate and distinct because you are following what God wants you to do, not what the world, world system says you're to do. And also you can't fit in because, because as believers, we're to be, the Bible says, uh, Jesus said, you're to be light, light and salt in the world. What does light do? Light shines in darkness, it puts the spotlight on things that aren't going right. And so what happens is if you're a believer and you're, you're not like, like you're going around, you know, pointing your finger at people, but just by you being somebody who's different, it reminds them of what they are not. And it says you're also salt and salt. What we're to be salt means that we're to be people who flavor, give flavor to the world, who change what the environment that we're in. We're not just people that blend into the environment. And so he's telling us two things. He says, number one, don't, don't take it personally if people don't like you, if they persecute you, whatever. Don't take it personally. And number two, realize you don't try to fit in. And then he goes a little further here in verse 20. He says this, remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. He's saying this here, a couple of things here. He's saying, number one, he's saying, don't try to avoid rejection because it's just part of being who you are. The only way I could, you know, let me ask you, how many of you think it's possible to live a better life than Jesus lived? Anybody here want to take that on? I'm not, no, my hand's not raised, okay? 
The only way that it's, you know, Jesus lived a perfect life. My understanding of Scripture is that Jesus lived a life that, that God was totally God-centered. That's the perfect life, okay? Do you agree with that? Do you believe that was true? That being the case, did everybody like Jesus? Did everybody, did anybody actively persecute Jesus? Yeah. He's going like, you can't afford, he's saying, you know, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, and he's not saying this in a snide way, if they persecuted me and I was perfect, that's not the way Jesus ever talked. You know, what about you guys? That's kind of what he's saying. He said, if they persecute me, they'll persecute you also. So don't waste any time trying to avoid it. Now, the thing is, is that some people take this out of context and they're going around looking like they're trying to find persecution. I've heard people in America going, all we need is a good persecution. We come closer to God. And I'm going like, well, maybe, you probably so. But he's not inviting us to, to, to seek out persecution. He's just encouraging us to expect it. See the difference? He said if it comes your way, in whatever form it comes, he's going, don't be surprised. He says, and the reason don't be surprised is because you're my followers, and you are salt, and you are light, and you are holy, and you are separate. So it comes with the territory. So that kind of goes against the whole prosperity and wealth gospel, doesn't it? So, just, yeah. But a good thing about this as well, he says this, then he says the last part of that verse is, if they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. And we're like, what does that mean? What does that mean? He's basically saying this. Remember that rejection is not universal. He says some people actually listen to him, and some people actually respond to you as well. There's a, something about Dean on stage every once in a while. Somebody left their phone up there or something up there, and I'm going up there and smash it in a minute. Okay. <laughs> Just ignore it. I'm sorry. He just like, did that, yeah, kind of like, what's that? going on back here. Anyway, okay, technology, it's wonderful. Okay, um, he said, remember the rejection is not universal. Some people actually obey the teachings of Jesus. Not everybody rejected Jesus, right? Not everybody is going to reject you. And not everybody is going to reject everybody at the same level. We live, like I said, we live in a country where we're not really, don't experience persecution. But I was reading this week in, in preparation for this, reading about uh, the world and what's going on. If you want to know what's going on in the world Beside, outside of America in regard to Christians and persecution, there's a website called Voice of the Martyrs. Voice of the Martyrs. Actually, there's an app for it, believe it or not. Isn't that cool? An app for Voice of the Martyrs. I'm going like, what in the world? It's all, it's what it is, I have it on my iPad now. And what it does, it tells you stories of what's happening in the world right now. How Christians are being persecuted in other places in the world. Let me just give you two or three examples that I read off of there. And this was yesterday when I pulled it up. It said, in India, uh, what they're doing is they're, that this one area, they're celebrating the bold faith of a lady. A, wi a widow in India is being remembered following her death from a heart attack. Um, Vanny, a 31-year-old mother of an 8-year-old daughter, spent 15 days in jail roughly 10 months ago for sharing her faith. During her time in jail, Vanny shared her faith with more than 70 women, 14 of whom became Christians. Even her jailer encouraged her to continue sharing her faith after witnessing the dramatic change in several other prisoners who accepted Jesus. The reason she went to prison was for sharing her faith. 
And she went to prison anyway. And after all of this, what happened is she continues to share her faith. She's persecuted even more. And the stress of that's caused, they believe, a heart attack. And she died at 31 years old. I don't live in that world. This hit a little closer to home, not because of anybody, but because of someone I know that goes to this church that's from this country. Uh, in Laos, uh, the, the headline is, in Laos, prayer is a crime. It says, five Christian leaders in Laos, and this was recently, were charged with medical malpractice after praying for a sick woman who later died. The Christians were ordered to serve nine months in prison and pay a fine for causing a lady's, this Miss Chess Chancey's death. The five have been in jail since the woman's death in June. On February 2nd, they were found guilty of treating the person without an official license, causing her to die, sentenced to nine months in jail, and fined. The Christians did not have legal representation during the trial. The ordeal began after Mrs. Chansey, a new convert to Christianity, asked for prayer. She was at a prayer meeting. She asked for prayer on June 19th, 2014, and she became, after she became severely ill. The five leaders from surrounding villages came together and prayed for the woman's healing for two days. After no improvement, they took her to a local hospital where she was given a blood test, uh, IV fluids, and oxygen. In spite of the medical, uh, and, and, in spite of the medical treatment, Ms. Chansey died shortly after being sent home for medical treatment. Police did not investigate the cause of death, and authorities blamed the Christians for her death. During the funeral service on Sunday, June 23rd, arri- authorities arrived at the family home and tried to force the family to recant their Christian faith. Fairly common occurrence in Laos. One of my friends that goes to church here is from there originally. And he shared some stories about stuff growing up in that country many, many, many years ago. China, let me give you one more. China. This is just beyond belief. A house church in China is in trouble for publishing kindergarten materials for a school it founded. And authorities have detained four people as a result. The trial began on February 6th for the four who were accused of illegal business operations and profiteering from the sale of texts for being used in the kindergarten. The Langreen Church created the curriculum to teach young students about character. The textbooks are used internally and students pay no fees for them. Police first detained, uh, I, got him, I don't even know how to pronounce his name, Chung Ji, who directed a church-run school uh, uh, on February 18th. And on June 23rd, oh, this was last year, June 23rd, police raided the homes of three others in connection with the text. Um, on August 8th of 2014, uh, the Hung Lang Kindergarten, where these kids went, was accused of violating the law of education in China by forcing citizens to believe in a religion. However, the curriculum makes no mention of God or Jesus. Instead, it uses stories and games to teach children about honesty and trustworthiness. They're imprisoned for creating a children's curriculum that teaches character because it's a church, a Christian church. Stuff like this happens every day all over the world. And if you want to know more and more, go to that site, Voice of the Martyrs. And there's dozens and dozens and dozens of stories about what's going on around the world. And the, and the, and the app is simply an app that you can use to, to pray for folks on a regular basis that are being persecuted. Folks, we don't know that kind of stuff. That is not the world I live in. Is that the kind of world you live in? The stuff happened? No. But that's the, that, believe this or not, that's the, the world that the majority of believers in the world live in. We have Christian brothers and sisters all over the world who are facing constant persecution. One expert has said that on a worldwide basis, Christians are the most persecuted major religion in terms of direct punishment for practicing religious activities, public worship, evangelism, and giving. And all you have to do is read the papers to find that to be true. You don't have to go to the Voice of the Martyrs. So what can we do for the brothers and sisters around the world that's being persecuted? 
Well, two or three things. One, we can pray for them. You're saying, well, I don't know, get a Voice of the Martyrs app or something, and it'll give you something new every day to pray for. You can begin to pray for them. A second thing you can do is learn from them. I don't know about you guys, but, you know, (laughs) sometimes I'll lose perspective. You ever go around and have a pity party for yourself? Woe is me because my life is so rough. Well, I was reading all this stuff online the other day, and I'm going like, wow, man. Let's have some perspective here, Bill. (laughs) You know, your life is rosy compared to some of this stuff here. I mean, I have never been come close to being thrown in prison or or arrested for my beliefs. The worst thing that's ever happened to me is people not like me. Not been invited to a couple of block parties. That's about as bad as it gets. People, when they find my pastor, and I never tell them, by the way, because if they do, they go in another direction a lot of times, uh, or they'll take off in a weird tangent somewhere. Um, You know, I just, you know, that's as worse as it comes for me. But when we can learn, what we can learn from folks in the world, and these stories are not just about persecution, it's about perseverance in the midst of persecution. And we can learn perspective and perseverance. We can give to them. Some, some of the people in these, these countries that are being persecuted, a lot of them live in lower economic standards. But they're still trusting God in the midst of all these things. And we also can speak out for them as well. We can, we can, you know, we, while we can pray for them, and hurt, we can also speak out for them and try to have people to have some justice in regard to it as well. Okay. Verse 21 to 24, uh, Jesus teaches a few other things to us about this whole thing. He says, he says in verse 21, he says, They will treat you, the people who persecute you, will treat you this way because of my name. And then he says something interesting because he says, this is the reason. For they do not know the one who sent me. They do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, he says, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have, been, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my father. I think two things he says here. Number one, he says this. He says, they do not know the one who sent me. He says this. When you are persecuted, what is our first response when somebody says something negative to us? Let's just be honest. What's our first response? right that's what we want to do you know what he says though when somebody is doing this he says respond with compassion you know why because they don't know the one who sent you they're not we for some reason we 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 expect non-believers to act like believers folks they can't Number one, they don't know Christ, they don't know his teachings, they don't know about him. But number two, number two, they don't have the Holy Spirit within them to allow them. You know, the only reason you and I can stay on track is when we yield to God's Spirit. That's what Dan's going to be talking about next week. When we yield to God's Spirit and let God's Spirit work within us to, give, to empower us and direct us to live life in such a way that we can do these things in the midst of the struggles and ups and downs of life. And so he's saying, he says, when people criticize you, when they, when they give you, don't, don't be the first thing you do is, is go, they're evil. They don't know the Father, he says. But he also says something else, though, too, here that's kind of like interesting and along with, he says, but they also have no excuse. That doesn't give them an excuse ultimately for making a choice. He says, because I have come, I have shown them, and now they see. They have a, it's like your kids. You know, until you tell them, have your kids ever had a thing where you, they've done something wrong, and they use this as an excuse? I didn't know any better. 
You know, they look at their big old, you know, eyes, you know, and you're going like, well, you know, and then you tell them, okay, and you get them off the first time. But then after that, the next time you're going like, okay, now you know better. That's kind of what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, hey, yeah, I mean, treat them with compassion, but realize that doesn't let them off the hook with God because they do know better. They do know better. And so he's telling, telling them that. See, in a sense, what, what Jesus is saying here and what the scripture is saying here is persecution, when persecution happened, basically it's someone shouting, I don't know Jesus. It was like the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, when he, when he, when he uh, was on the, you know, he was out before he was the follower, of, when he was named was Saul, and he was out going out uh, persecuting Christians, he thought he was doing the right thing. But he wasn't a follower of Christ at the time. And he was, as he did this, he was going around thinking he did the right thing. And he was kind of like, I'm not a follower of Christ. I'm not a follower. I don't know Jesus. I don't know follower. I don't know Jesus. But when he encountered Jesus on the Damascus Road, and he got there, and the, and the thing happened to him where he was, he was uh, where, thing, where he, he was, life was changed, guess what? He knew Jesus, and his life changed in a new direction. He was, and it wasn't because everybody was going around, you know, we, we will never win anybody to Christ by putting them down. By only uh, loving them and responding with compassion, even when they respond to us in a way that we don't like it. And then in verse 25, he says this. This is a really interesting verse. Uh, this kind of seems out of context, but it's, it kind of is as well. He says, but this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. That's a strange verse, isn't it? What is he talking about here? Well, it says this, the reason they didn't have, you know, so often when somebody does something to us, it's negative. What is one of the things after we respond negatively to them, what do we do? We start asking ourselves, why do they do that? Why do they don't like me? Why do they do this? And he's going like, they hated me without reason. Let me ask you, the people that hated Jesus Christ, did they have any real reason, real reason to hate him? He never did anything except offer his life up on a cross for everyone. But he was still hated without any real reason. And he's, so he's kind of, he's saying, he's saying, you know, so often we go around, we're trying to, we think we, you know, we can, we can argue somebody into the kingdom. We can, you know, reason with them. And so often it's not about reason because we think it's about, you know, uh, it's not a difference of opinions. It's a difference of nature. Their, our nature is, to, is to, to follow Christ. Their nature is to follow their own way. And until they decide that's not going to work anymore, what's going to happen is you can't argue your, their way there because I can tell you, I've sat in my office many, many, many times in other places talking to people, and it, until they come to going like, well, you know, this, I, I, there's, only, there's only one question. What are you going to do with Jesus that really matters? Then we can talk about all the things, you know, all the you know, dinosaurs and the, and the you know, you, whoever you want to talk about everything. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. That's what Jesus is saying. He says, they, sometimes people don't like you, and there is no reason. And it'll drive you crazy until you just kind of get over yourself and worry, but not worry about them. And then he goes on in verse 26 and 27, and he says this. And this is kind of transition to where we'll be talking about next week. But he says this, when the advocate comes, and the advocate is the Holy Spirit, 
When the advocate comes, whom I, who I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. He will testify about me. And then verse 27, and you also must testify, for you've been with me from the very beginning. So he says two things here as well. Number one, you are not alone in this world. When you encounter somebody that you're, you know, that you're trying to be, uh, say, a person at work or a person at somewhere in your family who doesn't agree with you, it's not about you convincing them. What it is, God says, I have sent my Holy Spirit. He will first testify to them. Because you know what the Bible says? We think sometimes you know, that being a witness to somebody means that we go out and we sell them on something and we close the deal. And then we think that, you know, and we get little, you know, notches on our Christian belt, you know, with people, little insignias, like World War II or something, you know, like you know, when you're an ace or something. But that's not the deal because the Bible says, the Bible says to us that the Holy Spirit is the one that convicts people of their need for, of, their, of, their, of sin in their life, of their need for righteousness, and, and the reality of judgment. So he's saying the Holy Spirit, he says, he says here, trust the Holy Spirit. He says, when the advocate comes whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who comes out from the Father, he will testify um, about me. Now, I'm aware of this every Sunday, that that's true. Because I cannot tell you how many times over the last 35 years of ministry that I've had people go out a door after a sermon and they're looking at me and go, Pastor Bill. And I'm sure everybody, else, other pastors have heard this before. Pastor Bill, you must have been reading my email. Because that sermon just spoke to me today. You mean what it did? It was the Holy Spirit convicting you. I don't know what your email is. I don't want to read your email. Right? And you don't want me to either. I sometimes don't even want to read your Facebook stuff. But you know, but the reality is... It's another sermon. See, it's God's Spirit speaking into our hearts, and as we come together, and as God, and as I share God's word, and as you listen to God's word, God's Spirit works in conjunction with this, and it's God's Spirit that's the one that's like going like, hey, that applies to you. That scripture is not about somebody else, that's about you. And that's when you go out the door and go, like, you must have been, you know, you're preaching directly to me, you're, you know, you've been reading my emails. That's kind of how it happens all the time. It's the Holy Spirit speaking to people's hearts. And then the second thing that verse says as well, he says, in verse, and also he said, and all, you also must testify, for you've been with me from the beginning. The word testify there is an imperative. It's a command. It's not like, yeah, if you get around to it, do it. He's going, if you are a follower of me, you need to not only testify with your life, but with your lips. See, times of persecution, when somebody comes to you and, and they, they don't like you, it's not time to run. It's a time to speak the truth. It's a time to speak the truth in love. A persecution, somebody said this one time, and I love this quote, a persecution without a clear witness is given is a wasted persecution. <laughs> I'm going like, really? But man, you have an open ear when somebody, when somebody, most people in our world today, guess what they'll do? They'll just ignore you. If they don't like you, they'll just ignore you. But when they start talking to you, it's an opportunity for you to give a clear st statement of where you stand in regard to God. 
And then chapter 16, verses 1 through 4, we conclude this message today, and it says, says this. He says, okay, remember everything we've read from verse 18 through verses 27. Chapter 16, verses 1. All this, all these words I've told you, all this I've told you so that you will not do what? You will not fall away. You will not fall away. He says, they will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think that they are offering a service to God. Hmm. Do you see that kind of worldview anywhere today? Do you read in the paper every day? People thinking that they're doing something for God by killing infidels. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. And then he says this at the end. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you. I I was already there to kind of give you support and encouragement. Now I'm getting ready to leave, he says. And so I want you to know these things. You know what he's saying to us here? He's saying to these guys, he's saying to these disciples, and he's saying to us. He's about to leave them physically. He's saying, guys... Everything is not going to be perfect. But I will not leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. I'm going to leave you an advocate, the Holy Spirit, who will work with you, in you, through you, in every way. And in doing so, stay on mission. Stay on mission. He said, don't let this distract you from the thing uh, that that I've left you there for. See, we can respond to the world's hatred by blending in. We can respond to it by fighting back. Or we can respond to it by telling the truth or speaking the truth in love. And that's what Jesus is saying to us. Now, I know this is not the most popular message in the world, but it's the truth. And so often when we get this idea that living the Christian life is one of perfection and everything. Let me tell you something, folks. The amazing thing about the places in the world where persecution is the greatest is where God's light shines the brightest. Every time. The place in the world where persecution is the greatest is where God's light shines the brightest. If if you go and read some of the stories, and I've heard these over the years, time and time again, I've heard people talk talk to me about this. In the midst of that, when people have to make a stand for Jesus Christ, his light shines incredibly bright. I'm not saying, hey, God, give us persecution, okay? I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that in the midst of whatever we encounter along the way, you and I need to understand that following Jesus Christ is not without some potential rejection. And it's because we're to be different. We're to be salt. We're to be light. And people don't like those changes. We didn't like those changes when we first encountered them. I want to close by reading a verse that's one of my favorite verses, actually, over in 1 Peter chapter 4. I was reading this in devotional a couple of weeks ago. I wrote it down. I'm going like, I didn't even know, you know, I didn't even look ahead and thought about this message at all. And when I read this, I'm going like, man, this is this is really powerful. And I want you to take this home and just write it down. 1 Peter chapter 4. Verses 12 through 14 and verse 19. Read this this week and ask what it says. It says, Dear friends, Peter says, 
Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. (laughs) But rejoice inasmuch as you can participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. So then, verse 19, so then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. I just challenge you to read that this week in your quiet time over and over and over. Ask yourself, how does that apply to me? What is it saying? Because this really says everything we've talked about today. Let's pray. Jesus, we do pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are facing persecution around the world. We ask you, Lord, to give them a sense of your spirit and of courage and sharing their faith and a power that, from you that tells the world that they're yours. Now, this part, next part's hard, but we don't ask so much for the comfort and protection as we ask for your guidance, and we ask Jesus for your power to be revealed in their lives. And God, we ask the same thing for us. God, I'm like everybody else in this room. When I think of persecution, I feel embarrassed at even thinking. I face it when I look at the rest of the world. But sometimes we do, God. Maybe not in big ways, but in smaller ways. And so often, God, we're tempted to blend in, not to, not to be different. And we're not different just for the sake of being different, God. We know that we're different because we want to follow you. And your plans and your ways are countercultural. Because we face temptation when people look at us. We face the temptation to fight back and to retaliate. Even in the slight persecution uh, that we face in our world for some of us here today. And I know it's more than slight because there's some people here going through economic hard times because of jobs. They've lost other relationships or maybe uh, because of people in their families who are going through tough times. But help us not to in the midst of those tough times to fight back but to do what Jesus did. Jesus says not to blend in. He says we've been made, he's made us different. Jesus says, help us not to fight back in anger, even though we do get angry sometimes. But help us to find in you the power to love our enemies and to provide a witness to them. Jesus, help us to tell the world that we believe in you. Help us to tell the world that you are our Lord. Help us to tell the world that you're the way, the truth, and the only way to real life. Help us to tell the world that we love you. Above all else, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.